it's just not possible to gain that much in value that quickly with declining revenue. And that's when I really had the epiphany that investing was not about stocks and bonds. Investing is about innovation. The belief is if there's a new piece of information, that it will be instantly incorporated into the price of the stock or the bond or whatever. But that's not how people change their minds. Welcome back. I'm Hayden Brain, and you're listening to Opto Sessions, where we interview the top traders and investors from around the world, uncovering their secrets to success. Today's episode comprises insights from some of the most illuminating interviews we've run to date, including conversations with chess master and hedge fund advisor, Adam Robinson, founder of Morgan Creek Capital, Mark Yusko, co-founder of the Quantum Fund, Jim Rogers, and investing legend and strategist, Kirill Sokolov, to name a few. Tapping into their combined decades of experience, the following clips explore what it takes to develop a successful investment approach. From perfecting preparation and controlling your emotions, to honing a sophisticated strategy and intuition, they examine how to sharpen the craft of investing. Their knowledge testifies that by mastering that craft, an investor can attain alpha. Preparation, a vital part of investing. Helping you to develop a consistent and repeatable strategy. Knowing why you are making investment decisions is critical to success. In this section, you'll first hear from Jim Rogers, talking about adopting your own investment style where there's no one-size-fits-all. Following this, we have Adam Robinson discussing how some principles of playing chess relate to investing, and finally, Kirill Sokoloff on finding the key driver of particular markets. I usually don't know too much about what's happening to, to my investments and don't want to know because it will confuse me. I'll get cluttered up with what's happening in the market. But Hayden, everybody has to have their own style. I knew a couple of guys on Wall Street who were just phenomenal short-term traders. They didn't have to know if the world had come to an end or not. It wouldn't have mattered. They still would have been buying and selling, buying and selling and making money. Sometimes, I mean, one of these guys barely knew what the companies did, but there were like a hundred companies that he knew the symbols, the stock patterns, trading patterns, and he traded them every day. He barely knew what they were doing. They didn't care, didn't have to. So everybody has to have their own style. My style, to the extent that I have found one, was to find something cheap with change taking place and try to own it for years. I'm lazy. Buying and selling and jumping in and out is hard work. You and I had a little conversation about chess, and I'm sure we'll get into it. But chess masters learn that there are certain types of position that they do better in. Right? Some people like slow, methodical games. Other people like games with a lot of tactics, a lot of action going on. And you learn to steer the game to those situations. So now layering three thoughts, we want a system that's different from other people that is tailored to your own strengths and awareness of weaknesses. So for example, certain people may trade consumer stocks better than others. They just have a feel for consumer stocks, right? Mm -hmm. Or they have a feel for banking stocks, right? Because they got a good Good sense of interest rates, such. So they trade banking stocks. Or, you know, maybe your edge is in different time frames, right? 
like your edge might be in, you know, one to three day trades, finding little opportunistic little situations that you get in and out ninja like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your edge might be trading for the long haul. So you need every trader needs a system that's tailored to his or her strengths. And you learn that over time, right? In the same way that swimmers learn, oh, you know, like, for example, I was a swimmer and butterfly was my stroke. But someone else, it might be breaststroke. You learn what your talents are, right? And then you, you wait for those moments. You wait for those, those situations. And uh, it was Charlie Munger and his partner, Warren, said much the same thing. Waiting is mostly what they do. They wait for what they call fat pitches, right? A good to great company that they can get at a good price. That's the way they approach their investing. And by the way, when they say a good company and what they mean by a fair price, there's a lot of logic and thought underpinning that, even though that's a simple encapsulation. But mostly what they do is wait. Because it's really hard to find a good company at a good price. Most companies are fairly priced. So it's hard to find a, a company that's not fairly priced in their system. I don't trade that way. And so, so I say that just that each of us, anyone listening to this podcast, you need a system. And it needs to recognize what you do really well. And then you hone that system, right? And how do they find what they can do really well? Well, trial and error is one thing. Yeah. Trial and error is, you know, and that's actually, it's a really good question, Ed, and is that you need to, if in honing a system, when I say trial and error, trial and error is not a random thing, although most people approach it like that. You want to be systematic about it, right? And you want to, have controlled experiments, as scientists say, right? And when you enter a trade, it's very important that you be able to articulate to yourself why you're entering the trade. Let's go back to uh, 2002. So commodities had been in a 20-year bear market, and China was investing massively in infrastructure. You could have bought any number of commodities, but the one that was most intellectually interesting to me with the greatest upside was, was oil. And you know, we did a reasonable amount of work on that to distinguish which one. And I think we were right. I think oil went from 20 to 147, so that's up almost sevenfold in five, six years. So it was astronomical. I don't think any other commodities went up anywhere near that. And that was maybe just because it's, it's, it was so important and it was driving everything else. So one of my strengths is to understand what, what is the key driver of things. So let's say it's, if you look at inflation since 1973 in the world, it's really been driven by the oil price. And I think the oil price is, is probably by far the most interesting and most important commodity. It's the hardest to analyze. It's almost impossible because there's so many different factors and variables and countries and geopolitics. You have to be very humble in analyzing it. 
So I think it's I think it's identifying the one that you think is the key driver of the whole cycle. Psychology. During a period of extreme volatility and anomalous market behavior, an investor's mindset is central to outperforming benchmark returns. Psychology often defines an investor's decision-making, and on this crucial subject, you're about to hear from Lynn Alden on a contrarian outlook and bringing a level of objectivity to her valuation process. Before Mark Yusko and Brian Feroldi discuss edge and the difficulty in comprehending the power of compounding. There are certain times where uh, you know the consensus makes sense and you want to ride those long-term trends. You don't want to just always buy what's out of favor. Uh, however, there are certain turning points uh, or certain extremes where it's important to take a step back and maybe start looking in the other direction. And so whether or not that's, you know, for example, in, in summer 2020, uh, when tech stocks were utterly soaring and other stocks were languishing, that's when I said, okay, I'm actually more interested in these other stocks. I mean, I think some of these tech stocks got overvalued. I'm more interested in, say, the banks or the energy that, that absolutely nobody wants. Uh, and, you know, then when those other things start doing very, very well, and no one wants tech stocks. I'm like, okay, well, I, I still think a lot of tech stocks are expensive, uh, but some of them are getting somewhat interesting again. And so it really kind of is looking around for things, especially through the lens of valuation. So if you're always looking for things that are reasonably priced, it kind of gives you a natural contrarian uh, slant, I, I would say. And so that's, that's how I approach it. So I use different types of screens. Uh, and you know, a, a popular one was demonstrated by Joel Greenblatt, uh, a well-known value investor. Uh, and his formula uh, that he popularized was to rank companies by high returns on invested capital uh, and low valuation. So, uh, you know, basically what that does is it combines a quality metric uh, with a valuation metric. Because the last thing you want to do is buy a, a bad company that's cheap, right? Because it's, it's probably just going to get worse and it's going to get cheaper. Whereas buying a higher quality company for cheap is generally the ticket to really good returns. But then, of course, the question becomes, what is quality? And so there are some objective ways to measure quality, like, for example, returns on invested capital, which is if you have persistently high returns, then you're generally, uh, you know, you have some sort of economic moat, uh, your business is profitable, uh, you know, it's, something's going right for you. Now, of course, I, I still think it's important to then overlay qualitative metrics on them. So say, okay, well, is there something in the next five years that might totally take that away? Or is it, is it something that's more durable? In addition, I, you know, strongly look at growth metrics as well. And so it's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, growth, uh, return on invested capital and valuation. And so basically, I just look at a variety of indicators, management, balance sheet, all sorts of things like that, and find companies where overall, I think that the, the forward risk adjusted returns based on a discounted cash flow model are attractive, uh, but then also then overlaying the, the global environment. And so, for example, if, you're, if you have a slowing GDP growth, then you generally want to tilt towards those more defensive sectors. And if you're getting a more cyclical recovery, uh, then you can bet more aggressively on some of those more cyclical stocks. One of my you know, things I focus on as edge is, is that, a, that willingness and ability to be early and not worry about being wrong as much. You know, I, I said, tell the funny mm -hmm. story. My wife has only seen me speak one time. And at the end of the talk, she says, you, you can't say things like that. I'm like, what do you mean? She says, you, know, you say things so forcefully. I'm like, what's wrong with that? She says, well, people will believe you. I'm like, well, that's kind of the idea. She says, but what if you're wrong? Oh my gosh, I'm wrong all the time. I just changed my mind. Like that is the one thing I hate about Twitter is people will search, you know, three years back and find something yeah. that I said that, that didn't turn out. And they're like, oh, look, you were wrong. 
like, are you kidding me? I've changed my mind seven times in three years. So I will also say that humility is, is maybe the most important edge. You got to be able to laugh at yourself. You got to be able to, to not take yourself too seriously. And I separate humility from confidence and conviction. I have lots of conviction, right? I say things forcefully. I have strong opinions, but they're loosely held because I believe I have the humility to say, yeah, I was wrong and I'm going to move on and, and try again. And then another edge is resilience. You know, the ability to, to go from failure to failure with, you know, increasing enthusiasm. As uh, Thomas Edison said, I never failed. I just found 10,000 ways not to make a light bulb. And uh, I think that's one of the things that I've, I've done pretty well in my career is, is just try a lot of things. And don't worry about being wrong and, and be resilient enough to get back up and, and try new things and, and reinvent yourself. The human brain was not really developed to comprehend the power of compounding. You know, we live moment by moment, day by day. And if you look back at the history of the S&P uh, 500, the undeniable long-term trend is up and to the right. And the historic rate of compounding for the S&P 500 has been somewhere around 10% annualized return if you include the dividends, if you subtract out inflation for there, it's somewhere around 6 to 7%. Now, if you put that number into any compound annual growth rate calculator, you can see that over a short period of time, a 10% return annualized uh, amounts to not a whole heck of a lot, but over a period of years, and decades compounded, it results in a gargantuan amount of money. I've previously shared on my uh, Twitter page this wonderful picture that shows Warren Buffett's net worth over time. And if you look at any given short period, the changes in his net worth look inconsequential. But over the last decade, he has added tens of billions of dollars of wealth to his, uh, his personal estate uh, simply by continuing to hold and continuing to compound. But our brains aren't really designed to handle that, that amount of information. I mean, just a, a really small example. Imagine that you're saving $1,000 per year. For the first 10 years, you know, you've saved $10,000. And if you compound that in the market, that probably doubles to about 20 or 25,000, something like that. If you keep doing that for a couple of decades, it won't be long before you have a couple hundred thousand dollars in your account. Let's say you get up to you know half a million. What's a 10% return on half a million dollars? Well, the answer there is $50,000. $50,000 is a 10% gain on half a million. That is more money than you would have contributed to your account over you know a 20 or 30 year period. That is a really hard concept to understand, which is why Einstein called it the eighth wonder of the world. Um, so I think it's just a flaw in human psychology and human thinking that we are programmed to think linearly, one, two, three, four. We don't intuitively understand uh, exponentials, one, two, four, eight, 16, 32. Um, so that is just something that investors have to intuitively study and understand. Strategy. To formulate an investment framework that aligns with your objectives and that highlights your strengths without exposing your weaknesses is critical to investment success. You're about to hear from Keith McCulloch on the mathematical truth in rates of change and how that concept is fundamental to his approach. You'll also hear from Ted Sides on Ashvin Chabra's novel strategy 
a framework he describes as mind-blowing, while Julian Brigden underlines the importance of concentrated risk. Rates of change um, are amathematical and derived through, you know, the secret to the universe, is, as Stephen Stogratz would say, mm-hmm. he wrote Infinite Powers. He's a mathematician, uh, a, a really good one. He simplifies the complex. Um, but rates of change, calculus, is not subject to opinion. You know, there's not an opinion on valuation. There's not an opinion on the way that the world could or should be. There's no politics. You know, so f- focusing on just that to start, that is critical. Because, again, it puts me in a place where I can't be a partisan hack or somebody who's just trying to tell you know, markets what to do so that it suits my positioning. Again, the rate of change of both the economic data and the rate of change of volatility within my market signals. Those are the two big things I focus on, the signal and what we'll, I'm sure we'll get into, which are the economic quads. Uh, the signal uh, or the market, if you want to just simplify that, is always front-running the economy and the quads, of course. So I fundamentally believe that I know absolutely nothing, that the market knows uh, most things, and it's my job to catch up to the market and or stay with the market if I'm on the right side of it. A lot of people miss the forest through the trees. And in a lot of these conversations, I pick up incremental nuggets, but there aren't that many where I'm exposed to a framework that is novel and, for me, mind-blowing. But that happened recently. So I had a, a conversation on the podcast with Ashwin Chabra, who manages the family office for Jim Simons of Renaissance. Mm-hmm. And before that, he was the head of private wealth at Merrill Lynch. So he spent his career really on the private wealth side before turning to institutional investing. And he developed a framework for thinking about really the goal of, in this case, individuals. And it was different from how we think of asset allocation, concentration, diversification. His framework was three pillars. And the first was sort of stability. So you could think about cash, you think about reserves, all the things that make sure you're stable in life. The second was just the market portfolio. And the third he called the aspirational portfolio. Concentrated yeah. risk. You know, you do your homework, you, you figure out the, you know, from my perspective, you figure out you, whether you do your stock analysis or you do your macro analysis, you say, oh my goodness, this is what I think is happening this is what the market's happening. And then you look around for an instrument that is the most extremely mispriced in that scenario. And that's the one you go for. And you don't give up and you have the tenacity, you know, of a pit bull. And you just keep shaking and shaking and shaking until it goes, right? You have to, you have to be, you know, that's where risk management is really a big big skill set um, <laughs> because it points <laughs> with some pretty big hairy positions and P&L swings, you know, but that's the nature of the, that's the, nature of the beast. Right? Don't expect to, to put, you know, a, a, a chip on every single square and win big. Right? You're not going to do that on, on the roulette table. You've got to, I'm not saying put it all on, you know, black 19 or something, but, you know, you've got to concentrate risk. Intuition. Being aware of your strengths and weaknesses will only make you a better investor. You're about to hear some insights from Ted Sides on crafting a good investment framework around your skills and Adam Robinson about acting on an intuition about your own strengths and evolving your investment style to take advantage of that. So what is it that is unique to you that gives you an advantage relative to other people? What is it that you do well, that you know about, that other people don't know as much? 
And so that's a good general framework for thinking about it. And I think that's what you find, that some people are wired in a certain way that have made them truly exceptional investors, a Warren Buffett, a Sam Zell. doesn't mean you, you, most people can't be them, but you can mm-hmm. be yourself and get the outcomes that you desire by figuring out what that is and how you can pursue that in the markets. It's just if you want an edge in the market, you have to choose a system built around your own idiosyncrasies and talents. You learn what you do well by trying different things. And then you discover that you have an affinity, right? In the same way that a beginning uh, baseball player, say, learns, oh, you know, I'm really an outfielder, right? I don't have the reflexes for being a shortstop, say, or whatever. And batters learn what kind of pitches they do really well with. And they, they wait for those. So I say all of that. And one way that, you know, developing a system around your own strengths Thank you everyone for tuning in to our Christmas special and your support throughout the year. There'll be a lot more to come in 2023. If you enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate a review on Spotify or Apple podcasts. Enjoy the holiday season and get ready for some eventful markets next year. Thanks for listening, everyone. Just a quick note before we sign off. If you're looking for an easily digestible daily update on the markets, this might be of interest. Opto Updates is our short newsletter sent every day during the trading week, giving you a bulleted list of the top seven stories from the global stock markets. We've done the hard work for you, highlighting relevant opportunities and trends. And in addition, we'll also keep you notified of any new products, stock reports or webinars from the Opto world. If you're interested, sign up using the link in the show notes. And thanks also to CoFruition for consulting on and producing the show. Until next time. Co-fruition.